Louise Cooney's Open Book, a Go Loud original podcast. I'm Louise Cooney and you're very welcome to my brand new Open Book podcast. In this podcast, I will sit down weekly for honest conversations with some of Ireland and the UK's most well-known personalities to discuss the escapism of reading, life lessons and a love of literature. I'm so delighted to have another Louise here today, Irish author Louise O'Neill. Today we touch on cancel culture, the books we are embarrassed to say we read, getting in trouble in school for reading and for being on your phone and so much more. We start with a quick, quick fire round that's not so quick as you can imagine when we started chatting and then we dive into more heavy hitting questions. Okay, so today on Open Book Podcast, we've got Louise O'Neill, which I'm so excited about. You are one of our first authors on the book club when it was on Zoom. And now we're here doing it in podcast format. And you have a new book out. So. I do. I do. Just in time. I heard you were starting this yeah. and I said, I better get my book out. <laughs> you know, out yeah. <laughs> but just to give you a background on Louise, you grew up in Clonakilty in West Cork, which we love, Munster. Yeah. <laughs> Your first novel was Only Ever Yours. It was released in 2014 mm-hmm. and it won the Sunday Independent Newcomer of the Year at the Irish Book Awards, mm-hmm. the Eilish Dillon Award for her first book and the first booksellers inaugural YA book prize. Her second novel, Asking For It, was published in 2015 to widespread critical acclaim. I think everybody just loves that book and yeah. it's just, oh, thank you. it was amazing. It spent 52 consecutive weeks in the top of the Irish charts, top 10 bestseller list. That's in- incredible. It was, yeah, it was a bit wild. Second book. Yeah, every, every week, you know, you'd have like the Sunday papers and I'd be looking through like, oh, there it is again. <laughs> oh my God, wow. And both novels have been optioned for screen uh-huh. oh my god yeah have we any updates on that oh god it's it all it all just moves at such a glacial pace yeah i'm actually i'm going to la um i think it's in two or three weeks and i have some meetings um with the producer and the screenwriter um for only ever yours but louise i at this point i'm not going to get excited yeah until, i know like you know the day it's kind of starts filming because mm-hmm. everything as i said just moves at like such a slow pace so yeah you can't get ahead of yourself i get that no yeah. and i think there's so much control with the writing where you you know i mean i i'm like okay if i want to write a book here's the amount of time i have and, and i can get a book written in let's say in six months the first mm-hmm. draft whereas i think with a film there's so many moving parts and there's so many other people involved as yeah. well and like it's kind of hard for me because I'm a bit of a control freak. Yeah. And I think sort of letting go of it and being like, I just can't, I just can't control this. So I'm sure there's like characters and storylines you're really attached to that they might just change yeah. up. Yeah. Louise, at this point, I don't care. Yeah. I'm like, do whatever you want. Just make it and give me my check. <laughs> I get that when things yeah. are slow. You're like, I don't care at this point. Just, just do it. Yeah, you know? at the start, you're like, it's my baby. It has to be perfect. Yeah. Like, I don't care anymore. <laughs> well, I'm sure it will be and I can't wait to oh, see Thank it. you. Um, your first novel for adults, Almost Love, was published in 2018, yep. followed shortly by The Surface Breaks, her feminist reimagining of The Little Mermaid, mm-hmm. her second novel for adults, After the Silence, that was the book we had you on, our book yes. club for, which we loved, it was like a thriller based in kind of like the Iron Islands, but I think it was called something else, wasn't yes, it? Yes, it was called Inishroon. Inishroon, yeah. of Cork. Yes. Yeah, and I loved it, I just thought it was oh, okay. so good, I was hooked to it. Um, it was published in 2020 and it was an instant bestseller. It won Crime Novel of the Year at the Irish Book Awards and has been optioned for screen as well. Yes. Idol is her third adult novel and that's what we're kind of going to talk about yeah. today amongst other things. So thank you so much for joining us. Oh I'm so God, excited. I read this this month, or sorry, May, and I just flew through it. I was on my holidays, kind of. It was a work, work trip and I 
literally couldn't put it down. Well, I, I was very jealous because every time you posted and you were like, oh, I'm loving the book. And I was like, why am I not in Hawaii? Why is my book in Hawaii and Louise is in Hawaii, but I'm not in Hawaii? I was definitely the only influencer in inverted commas there with that word. They're walking around with a book in their hands, <laughs> you know. They're all like, oh, there she is, a little nerd in the corner reading her book. But you know when you get really stuck in, you're like, well, I have 30 minutes here on this bus. I'm just going to read a couple more pages or a chapter. Oh, like, It's a little bit of like, you know, recharge, escapism. And then, yeah. you know, I love yeah, it. Yeah, back into, back into the real world. Yeah. So I have some questions for you today. Okay. Just about your relationship with books, how it's, I suppose, impacted your life and your journey. And as an author, I'm sure mm-hmm. you have so many stories to tell. Yeah, but we're gonna start. Strap yourself in. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna start with some quick fire questions. Oh god, I'm I'm notoriously bad at quick fire questions. My brain goes really blank, and it's like okay, okay. Well, we'll try. We'll try our best. This is my first time doing them, so. Oh right, okay, yeah, great. I'll, I'll you're you're you using then. me as a guinea pig. Yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> okay, so first up, paperback or hardback? Oh, paperback, I think. And why? I don't know. I suppose because I'm really hard on my books. Like, you know, my mother hates borrowing a book after I've read it. Uh-huh. She's like, is this blood? I'm like, no, that's like spaghetti sauce. You know, like, there's just like, and I've got like dog ears and, yeah. you know, and um, if I'm in, in the bath, like I'll drop the, the book in the bath. And I suppose with the paperback, it feels like it's a bit more squashy. So I can sort of, you know, shove it into my bag. Yeah. And Whereas a hardback, I don't know. There's something about a hardback that makes me feel like I should respect it more. Mm. And then I feel guilty, mm-hmm. as I said, if I, um, you know, I'm getting chocolate stains on it so yeah so there's something a little bit more guilt-free about it about a paperback I'm with you for traveling and yeah yeah I feel like the hardbacks they're coffee table books yes you know? yes exactly yeah. exactly okay classic or contemporary this is actually a really good question and I was talking to someone about this recently because they were mentioning a book um that I think was written in the 19th century that I hadn't read and I you know I read a lot of um I suppose classic novels when I was at university I mm-hmm. studied English at Trinity um and more recently I feel like all I read is contemporary novels now part of that is because I get sent so many proofs mm-hmm. um and also because there's just so many new books that are being published mm-hmm. sometimes I just feel like saying can everyone stop publishing for a year can it give me time to catch up and then we can start again I'm sorry by the way these are just supposed to be quick fire questions no, and I'm like re- I told you I was long winded okay yeah no, that's totally fine and would you be like you're saying you, you kind of prefer well you're reading more of the contemporary at the moment mm. but do you like kind of period dramas and stuff like that would that be your thing um no, I do. I mean, I love, I mean, I studied uh, um, Jane Austen um, at university okay. um, and I'm a huge Austen fan. So anytime there's sort of an Austen retelling, whether that is, I suppose, something that, you know, is, I suppose, very classic and sort of, you know, like what, like a BBC mm. uh, adaptation or it's like Clueless or, um, you know, this new one, Fire Island, which is sort of like um, a, a, a contemporary gay retelling yeah, of, uh, of Pride and Prejudice. So, like, I just love any of it. Yeah. yeah. So are you Bridgerton and Downton Abbey? Oh, yeah. I mean, of course. Yeah. So that is not for me at all, that kind of stuff. Oh, really? So I feel like that's why I'm more towards the contemporary, the contemporary. Kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Downton Abbey... Probably less so. And like Bridgerton, just because like there was so much sex. Yeah, yeah, that's what everyone was disappointed with the second season. I actually wasn't. I felt like they had really great chemistry. I felt like there was more of a build up. But maybe that's just, like even when I'm reading like, you know, romance novels, like I love it when it's, sort of like hate turns into love and when mm. like kind of, you know, there's that yearning. And I think it's because that happens so rarely in real life because mm-hmm. we're so into the sort of instant gratification that if you fancy someone, you sort of consummate that pretty quickly. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas I suppose that like, it's you know, lines. yes, exactly. And just almost like a, a touch of a finger. And like, <gasps> yeah. Yeah. I just feel like that would not happen. Today. Okay. Speaking of instant, are you someone who savors a book or do you devour it? 
It really, do you know what? It really depends. Um, and I think often when I'm reading, because I read very widely, and if mm-hmm. I'm reading a novel, let's say that's particularly, let's say, a literary novel mm-hmm. um, where the writing is very beautiful and like the pace of the novel is very slow, like with something like that, I want to take my time, I want to savour it. Whereas if it's very pacey um, and if... Oh, I don't know. Sometimes if it's just, if I'm enjoying it too much, nearly, I, I, or if there's, I suppose, a question in the book that hasn't, that I'm not really sure what the answer is to, I'm like, I just need to finish this as quickly yes. as I can to find out what happens. Yeah. So I think it really just depends on the book. Yeah, I agree with you. And I don't like, I feel like I'm drawn to say the ones I really enjoy more, I finish faster, but yeah. sometimes it can just depend on the type of the book. Sometimes yeah. they can be a little bit heavier and more thought provoking yes. and you, you just can't read too much. Yeah, exactly. And you need to kind of take breaks or you need to just stop and think, okay, like to absorb it, mm-hmm. you know, as well. So I like think I sometimes make little notes as well, oh, you know. Yeah. Oh my God. I know, what am I like? Yeah. <laughs> you were a teacher's pet in school, Louise. I could, I'm just getting that vibe of you. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I did love English. Like that was like my favourite subject. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Audiobooks, yay or nay? Um, Well, I don't personally listen to them. Um, I listen to a lot of podcasts, but I've never quite got into um, audiobooks. But, you know, it's interesting. When Only Ever Yours first came out, they asked me, um, they sent me sort of a couple of audition tapes for actors who were going to read it. And I said, I just don't care. Like, pick pick whoever you think is good. Whereas now it's such a huge market. It's such an important Mm. market that with Idol, I asked, I think I heard... I think around maybe 12 or 13 different voices before I made my decision. And I sent a lot of those little clips to friends of mine who I know listen to audio a lot mm-hmm. because I was like, this has to be right. Mm-hmm. Because as I said, it's like, it's a really important market now. And I think there can sometimes be a real snobbishness around that. Like people saying, oh, you know, you should, you know, I suppose purists being like, you know, you should read the book. Mm-hmm. I think, look, it's still storytelling, like whatever way you're consuming it. And I think for a lot of people who maybe are dyslexic or, you know, maybe um, have had difficulty reading in mm-hmm. that way or often like people who, you know, drive a lot or yeah. who have small kids or, you mm-hmm. know, that are, like it's th- that's their way of reading. So I think, you know. Yeah. And like, I think sometimes people say I don't have the time to read. Yeah. Whereas like you can do two things at once. You exactly. Know? Exactly. If you're doing housework, if you're driving, yeah. or, you know, working out or like yeah, whatever. Exactly. Like I remember during lockdown, that was the first time I'd ever really gotten into it was when I was going out for my walks because we all were doing yeah. <laughs> so much walking at the start of lockdown. So I'd go out and I'd listen to the book and it's just so relaxing, you know. Mm. And it's you feel like you're kind of doing something. You're not only like getting a little bit of exercise in, but yeah. you're listening to something yeah. as well. Yeah. So I loved it. But I remember in the book club, we did one book. We all did it on Audible together. Oh. And it was American Dirt and the accent, it was based in Mexico and the accent was Mexican, you know, so all the words they would say in that accent. And I, I thought that was really good. Yes, because if you were reading it, you, I think you'd be thinking, oh, I wonder how that's pronounced now. You, you, you know, kind of would, you, yeah, it just doesn't have the same effect. Yeah, yeah, you know? that's, that's a really good. And, and you obviously, was that the reason why you chose that one to do an audio? No, I just, I didn't know, you yeah. know, and as well as that, uh, Where the Crawdads Sing. Oh, I still haven't read that. I've read it and I've listened to an audio, kind of did half and half. And it's it's a very interesting one if you listen to the, the audio because it's like very Southern America. Yeah. But the movie's coming out in yes. July. Yes, Daisy Edgar Jones. Yeah. I'm so excited. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so Kindle, yay or nay? Okay, so I was completely anti-Kindles for years. And then with work, I started traveling a lot, probably around 2016. And I I just, the Kindle was just so handy. Mm. And, you know, and I think as well, like it just fits in the in your bag. And mm-hmm. it's, it's you know, it, like it rem- when I, I remember when I was like in my early 20s and I did a lot of traveling and you, you, you'd just have your backpack. 
And you, you know, it was that thing of always trying to find books to read and sort of picking up things in hostels mm -hmm. or, or, you know, just on the street or, you know, whatever. Um, whereas now I think there's something so great about being like, I have my Kindle, it's in my bag, mm -hmm. it, it doesn't take up any weight. But like in general, I prefer to read an actual book. And I, I do find, and I think studies have shown this, that you retain more of what you read when you read it on paper mm -hmm. as opposed to on the Kindle or even oh, on, the, on the computer. But um, yeah, as I said, I've, I, I had a lot of principles, Louise, and I've, um, I've just, I've given them all up. <laughs> I don't have a Kindle either. I actually remember some trip I was going on, I actually borrowed my best friend's Kindle. Yeah. Which is just so funny to think about. I'm like, why not just get one? It's so <laughs> They're much. not expensive, Louise. I, I know. And I feel like you could probably get them to send you one. Like, you I know, know, like, uh, you know. For anyone who says I'm a hard person to buy for, I'm like, guys, I don't have a Kindle. <laughs> buy me a Kindle. <laughs> are you book smart or are you street smart? Oh, God. I mean, I would say probably book smart. Um, uh, yeah, I mean that's a good question a little bit like I you know sometimes you'll meet someone who are, they're so intelligent and can barely tie their own shoelaces you know and mm -hmm. sometimes I think that the more book smart you are it's almost as if you've only got a certain amount of room in your brain mm -hmm. um, and the more I don't know that if you have a job that like involves like I suppose like is a very intellectual job or, or or I suppose uses your brain capacity in that way that often then I feel like in your everyday life you can be a bit dumb, um, mm. but um, so I don't really know. I'd, I'd actually, I'd love to ask someone else what they think. Probably book smart. I feel like if I asked my boyfriend, he'd be like, book smart. But I feel like to do what you do and to write about people's lives, you need to know kind of information about things. And also yeah. you need to be able to understand like the emotional side of things, yes. which is, I yes. guess, street smart and Well, no, that's true. Yes, and, and I suppose know. an emotional intelligence probably yeah. is probably more important than, yeah. let's say, someone who got like, I don't know, however many points in their leaving search, like I think probably emotional intelligence and, and being curious about people and being mm -hmm. an observer. I think those are probably qualities that would lend themselves um, to better writing yeah. know, than than maybe being incredibly intelligent, you know? Yeah, I, I love that. You, you didn't answer either. You, you picked it yeah. different. <laughs> God, I'm really bad at this game. <laughs> You're like, it's, it's quick fire and I'm like giving like five minute answers and then not even choosing one. I love Sorry. it. Good question. Yeah. Um, are you an open book or a closed book? Oh God, an open book. Um, probably to my detriment um, sometimes. But yeah, I, I, I think I've gotten a little bit better at having, I suppose, just better boundaries and trying to keep aspects of my life private mm -hmm. I mean and I would love to hear what you, what you would think about yeah. this obviously your job is so public facing yeah. that it's trying to I suppose keep parts of that that you're like oh this is just for me and maybe in the beginning definitely of my career I think I just felt like if someone asked me a question I had to answer it you know mm -hmm. like particularly in interviews mm -hmm. because I think I've definitely gotten better at being I, I just finding ways of navigating that where I suppose maybe answering around it rather than answering directly yeah like I mean I think I would like with when I'm one-on-one -on -one with a person yeah. or whether I know them my whole life or not, I'm yeah. totally an open book yeah. to my detriment as well. Yeah. <laughs> so like I have learned, same as you, with time just yeah. to just to be a little bit more careful about yeah. how much you share and what you say and yeah. because things can be sometimes taken out of context. Absolutely. And I think it's trying to be protective of yourself as well. Yeah, you know? yeah. And um, it's, it's a hard balance, I think, to sort of be honest and to be open and to feel like you're being authentic, mm -hmm. but also feel like, well, I still have to be protective of myself and my privacy and, and, and people in my, you know. Yeah, it's funny. Like, it, like it's, I suppose the way I share online, it's so different to the way I would share, I think, if... I wasn't if I didn't have a following and if it wasn't my work yeah you know I was at my cousin's communion at the weekend and 
I was like, I feel weird. Like, I, I'll put up a picture of my cousin, but I can't tag her because she's too young. What if somebody weird goes onto her page? I know. Or, I, I have know. lovely pictures of all the family and that would be totally what I would share. But it's, you know, maybe they don't all want to be up, I know. up there to, I you know, know, and I feel I like weird to go and ask every single person, yeah. you know. Just put it on your close friends. And then yes. Just, yeah. yeah, yeah. And like my boyfriend, for example, you know, that like those funny moments at home, which I would totally share, but not to... I know, I know. People, and I think that is know? it, like the more, like, because you have so many followers as well, I suppose it's just, yeah, the more that grows, I suppose the less safe it becomes in a way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, totally. Well, our last quick fire question. Are you a bookmark or are you a dog ear oh, person? I'm such a dog ear person. I'm like, I keep, <laughs> it's terrible. And I keep like buying bookmarks and I keep being given bookmarks and I'm like, oh, this is a beautiful bookmark and then I lose the bookmark yeah. and then I'm just, and even sometimes I'll have the bookmark in the book and I'm still like turning down the years. But I've done that since I was a kid, even mm. though as I said, my my mother, both my mother and my sister are really like take care of their books and it just drives them bananas. <laughs> That's so funny. So anyone listening who needs a present idea for you, <laughs> yeah. No, I was going to say, not another one, Louise. It's not going to get used. <laughs> Someone needs to invent a yeah. that doesn't fall out. <laughs> I'm the same as you though. I'm a dog-eared person. Yeah. Well, moving into the proper questions, the more yeah. kind of in-depth questions. What's your first memory of books? Oh, this is a really good question. And like, I don't know if there's like one first memory. You know, my mother was an English teacher before um, she had me and my sister. So I suppose I grew up in a house which was full of books, you know, um, and and my parents read a lot. And I think often when you're a child and you see like your parents are reading and that's something that they do for pleasure, that's something that they do sort of in their free time, you kind of, I suppose, internalize this idea mm. that, okay, this is something that, you know, cause you're like a sponge at that point, you know. So, and like they really encouraged it in that like my mother would bring um, the two of us to the, the library every Saturday and and like my my dad would sort of at nighttime, it was his job to sort of put us to bed and tuck us in and, and he would read us um, a story. But, I just wasn't, I, I always had a book in my hand. Like, I, I remember with my pocket money once buying a torch and sneaking it into the house and hiding it under my bed so that at nighttime when the lights went out that I could, like, continue reading. Oh and then uh, the next day, they're like, why are you so tired? And I, I, you know, trying to pretend that I have no idea why I'm so tired. Maybe it's because I was awake until, like, two o'clock, you know, finishing this book. Um, And, you know, I even got in trouble in school because my teacher call my mother in and she said we just cannot stop her reading like she's reading under the desk she's reading at lunchtime she's like she said it's just we really need to do something with her um and my parents <laughs> were like we can't we've, we've tried um so yes I suppose they were just this like really integral part of my childhood and my parents traveled a lot um when we were kids because my dad was playing um GA football in New York so they were kind of okay. back and forth um to New York and we would have um my sister and I would have spent a lot of time on my grandparents farm and mm -hmm. um so it was us and my four uncles were sort of all in their kind of 20s at that point um and there was one television and as you can imagine we were very low down on sort of the list of priorities of getting to choose what we were going to be watching on the television mm -hmm. you know it was my granddad first and then the four uncles um so there was really nothing else for it. We just bought like stacks of books. Like we'd be mm. there every weekend and all summer. And yeah, so I think it was just this like constant part of my life, just like books and more books. And like mm -hmm. I had a very advanced reading age. Like, you know, when I was eight, I think my reading age was 16. So mm. like I was just, honestly, you would never have seen me without a book in my hand. So That's yeah. so cool. I'm yeah. sure you got away with like... I had no friends to read, but like, yeah, very cool. Um, <laughs> no, but I'm sure you got away with reading like stuff that you wouldn't have been allowed to watch on TV. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> 
absolutely and constantly like you know reading my mother's magazines like Cosmo and being like what does masturbation mean and my, oh, my mother like so dying laughing you know like just <laughs> like just going absolutely puke but as long as she's reading yeah yeah exactly <laughs> and just I remember but but I think as kids I think kids are actually pretty good self-censors like I remember um, being on the Iron Islands I think it was around seven or eight um, and picking up um, I think it was flowers in the attic it was just a copy that had been left sort of in the in the holiday home and reading it and then it just got very weird <laughs> like, I'm not sure if you know the story of Flowers in the Attic no, I don't it's about, it's about the, um, these uh, like siblings who are imprisoned in this attic by their by their mother and then like the brother and the sister sort of start getting getting oh, on wow. yeah like sounds like Game of Thrones <laughs> yeah yeah it's really just I remember reading going no I don't I don't think this is for me and sort of putting it away you know but, yeah, uh, I feel like I'm too young for this yeah but Mike it's funny now because like Obviously, having written novels for young adults, like I would often get parents saying to me, oh, what age do you think asking for, you know, what age do you think this is for? And, and then I would ask them what age their child is and they would say something like, oh, 16. I was like, oh, okay. Like, I, I think there's like a lack of understanding of maybe what your 16-year-old has been exposed to for quite some time. Yeah. Whereas when I was a child, like when I turned 12, again, in the library, there was the children's section and the adult section. And my mother said, you're done with the children's section now it's sort of into the adult section so like I was reading adult books from 12 uh-huh. and there was just a I don't know sort of an expectation of you know that I was mature and I was a good reader therefore mm-hmm. this is what I would be reading so I don't know there wasn't that kind of censorship I suppose but I, I think it's in, in the book in books like that at least you you kind of hear the character's thoughts Yes. Do you know what I mean? Whereas like when you're watching that stuff on TV, you don't really, it's more about the visual side of things. Yeah, yeah. But it's just, you know, you often hear that with like when they're adapting novels for TV, like some do very well and then others are, the, the books are so interior, like they're really yeah. about, you know, like there's, it's so much about the character's kind of interior life and their thoughts that, that it can be very difficult then to sort of translate onto screen. Mm, that's interesting, isn't it? Um, which literary character growing up do you think you were most like? Oh, I mean, I feel like any writer who's asked this question is going to say like Joe from Little Women, even though I think it was probably more like Amy, like such a brat. Um, sure. And um, or like Matilda and then like Hermione from Harry Potter. You know, there's the, yeah. sort of the standard ones. But I was really into um, Sweet Valley High when uh, I bet you, I think that you were, it was probably sort of phased out by the time you were. Um, no, I, I remember it. It just wasn't uh, something I watched. Yeah, yeah. But it was, the books were like a really big deal. Um, and, the, you know, they were about these two twins and like, now as an adult both of these characters are incredibly insufferable but um, <laughs> at, the, at the time I was like I think I'm like Jessica because you know I love fashion but I'm also like Elizabeth because she loves reading and now I think well Jessica was a sociopath and Elizabeth was a know-it-all so maybe that was also very true but like it was that sense of I remember thinking the duality of those two characters mm. that like there was elements of of me um, in both of them but now I would be very loath to say that I was like either Jessica or Elizabeth Wakefield you're far too serious an author yeah. <laughs> and stuff like that oh I don't know Louise <laughs> that's very funny um, what book has been your greatest teacher in life? Um, I think there are probably two books that I could answer for this. Um, the first book is The Handmaid's Tale by Margaret Atwood um, which a teacher handed me when I was 15 and she said, you know, I think you'll, I think you'll really enjoy this book. And I, I had never heard of Margaret Atwood and I read it in one sitting. And I mean, it just completely changed my life. Like I suppose, I think now when you talk to teenagers, they have such access to, um, I suppose, like political ideologies and, and, and concepts and like all of these ideas, like they have just that, that the dissemination of that, like in through social media has just been incredible. Whereas I think, 
when I was a teenager, like, you know, I didn't grow up in a household where we were discussing feminism, you know, around the, the kitchen table. So that was probably like my gateway into that kind of, those kind of ideas, um, that kind of writing. Um, and yeah, it was just a really important book for me. Um, and then I suppose the second book that I would choose is um, Rachel's Holiday by Marion Keyes, um, which is such a brilliant book um, and just one of the best depictions of addiction that I've ever read. Um, but I read it, um, I was such a huge fan of Marion Keyes. Like she was one of those authors that my mother would have always bought the books and mm -hmm. been around the house. And so I've been reading me. her. So yeah, <laughs> but same for, for a lot of, um, a lot of uh, women. And um yeah, so I read it. I think I was in um, St. John of God's. Um, I, I was there. I'd ha I had anorexia um, mm -hmm. and I was there sort of um, getting treatment. And I read it and it was, it's such a strange moment because there's this, there's this scene in the book where um, Rachel does coke alone. And I, you know, I was 21 and I was a bit like, oh my God, who does coke by themselves? Like what a sad, you know, like, well, that's just pathetic. Like, you know, it's like something you do at a party or, or not do with all children terrible yeah. idea um, and um, yeah and I remember just being really sort of judgmental and then having like this moment of realisation and going oh yeah but I do that like I use food in that way like I'm really secretive around food or if I do eat or if you know particularly with the bulimia like the, the binging of that would be done in private and like there was a real sort of secretive mm -hmm. element to that so it was this I suppose just again this moment of realisation of oh my god I am an addict mm -hmm. and I, I don't think I've ever actually spoken about this publicly before and I, I only remembered very recently was I so in the book there's this again another scene where Rachel when she goes into the cloisters starts having issues with her teeth and she has to go to the dentist and the dentist said oh this is actually quite common because for addicts like they're not taking care of themselves and they're not taking care of their bodies and they're often I suppose either using alcohol or drugs or, or food or whatever to sort of mask their feelings so they don't notice that they're in physical pain until they start recovering. So she has to have a root canal. And two days after I read the book, I chipped my tooth and I had to go to the dentist while I was in St. John of God. Oh my God. So I, and, and, and I, I only remembered it recently and I thought, maybe I've, maybe I've misremembered. Like I just thought that is so strange. And I, I emailed like about four or five different dentists around St. John of God's going, hi, I know this is really odd, but my name is Louise O'Neill and like, do you have any records for me? Like kind of around 2000, January 2007. And one came back and said, oh yes, no, we do. You were in, yeah, you know, and um, you you chipped your um, your left molar and we had to, we had to sort of, um, we had to fix it. And I, I just thought, God, it's not, because I hadn't been to the dentist in years before that. And I thought that is so odd. Mm -hmm. There's the power of Marion Keyes. She'll make you she'll make you break your tooth after you read it, just because I suppose like that kind of identification with um, with Rachel. I read Marion Keyes recently. I was sent the new one, and I had oh, never yes. read I'd never read any of her books. Yeah. And oh my god, I Rachel's know. Holiday is just like it's superb. It's so good. Yeah, I flew yeah. through it. I was laughing and crying. Yeah, for both books. Yeah. But yeah. I, I love, I just love them both. Then. Yeah, so, and like, it's amazing to think like 25 years and it still feels so relevant. Uh -huh. And the sequel, um, you know, as you said, again, Rachel is just, oh, it's brilliant. She's brilliant. I mean, she's a very, a very close friend of mine. So, but like, I suppose I've been a fan of her work for years. So I feel, you know, that I'm able to, it's, I'm not, I don't think I'm biased. No, I mean, I'm not biased, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like, we did a book club with that and just everyone loved it. Yeah. And it's so much to talk about as so well. So I started reading. My mom said, "Oh, I read that when I was pregnant with Nicole." My ah, no sister. way. So probably, well, she's twenty five. So twenty five years ago. Yeah. Um, 
And she was like, such a good book. So I gave her, again, Rachel. Oh, I love that. Like, you know, but it's so funny that my mom was reading this and it was relevant then and now it's still relevant. Yeah. Yeah. There's the things like maybe the fact they didn't have phones was probably the one major difference in the book. Yes. You know, now we're, we're like attached to phones. Well, I mean, I remember because I, when I was trying to find, I, I, I was trying to, when I was first trying to find treatment and I went to sort of a different, a number of different um, places just kind of see like, you know, where they would take me. And um, I remember going to the Rutland Centre and for the, just sort of to see first of all, which I think is actually where Marion went and where the Cloisters is based on. Okay. And no, I didn't have, it was 2006. So, or yeah, um, 2006, I didn't have a smartphone, but um, they said there, they were like, well, you won't have your phone. You Mm -hmm. won't have a phone. You won't have your laptop. And they were like for six weeks and I just thought, I don't know if I can do this. <laughs> and now I would certainly be like, I definitely cannot do this. But I, I remember know. that. I, and I'd love to know if they still do that. I don't think so. I think they're allowed to. Oh, are you? Yeah, because yeah, there was something about it that I thought was a good idea. Like afterwards, I thought, I mean, I was 21, so I was definitely not going to give up my phone. You know, but, but at the same time, you come back out into the world, you're exposed to all that stuff. No, that's true. Again, that's true. Know? No, that is true. I suppose there's maybe that. I, I, I have no you know I think you're probably right yeah, yeah. I mean it's a, it's a tough one yeah not an expert so yeah <laughs> we'll contact around the Rutland Centre and we'll ask them if they, if they still if they still <laughs> confiscate the phones we need to know yeah <laughs> I mean like why just for our personal interest <laughs> when I was in school they used to take your phone off you if you got caught with it and they charge you six euro to get it back oh no I, and I asked I had a FaceTime th- or Zoom thing with my school, my old school recently. I said, do they still do that? They're like, no. Oh yeah, like, <laughs> that would be a violation of our human rights. How dare you? My younger sister, she's a teacher and she said she just has to tell people to put away their phones. I'm oh like, God. oh no, like that was not the case. Yeah. Like you were not allowed to have your phone. I don't know, they're probably better with them because I think if I'd had a smartphone, I mean, I remember when Bebo came and I was, I think in second year of college and I was like, I, if this had come out during my leaving search, I would just have... Just, I would not have got anything done. Mm-hmm. So I think that maybe they've got better willpower and they can sort of put their phones away. Yes, it's a life skill you have to develop. Yeah. You're not going to get anything done yeah, yeah, if you sit on your phone yeah. all day long. Yeah. So, you know, people probably think I do because it's my job. Well, but no, but I that's I different, which is actually know. why I think is really, I think being an influencer looks like a really, like genuinely, like a really tough job. Yeah. I hate, like I notice if I'm on my phone too much that I start feeling really anxious. Mm-hmm. And I often, like if I'm away for a weekend, I'm like, I'm going to leave my phone in the car and I'll say to my mom, look, I'm oh, in yeah. this, I'm in this hotel. If there's an emergency, phone the hotel. But like, and I, then I think that you would just wouldn't be able to do that. You're like, no, I have to like, you know, I have to sort of post something or I have to take mm. something. And I'm like, oh, this is great now. Two yeah. days without any, anything. I mean, I don't get panicky if I don't have it, but I will be like, can I borrow your phone to take a picture? Yeah. <laughs> and I'll send it to myself. <laughs> well, when we, we went away for my birthday and it was funny because I had said to um, my partner, I was like, look, can we not, can we just have a phone free weekend? She was like, okay, fine. And then on the day of my birthday, which is the 24th of February, I went in to have a shower and I came out and I could just tell I said, you've been on your phone. And he said, Louise, I had to. And I said, why did you have to? And I was like, we said we'd have a phone. And he went, Louise, Russia has invaded and I, the you, Russia has invaded Ukraine. Okay. And I thought, oh, sh- shit, okay, you do have to be on your phone. No, but no. it was just, you know, that He's thing. Where I was like, yeah, story. yeah. So I was like, literally on my birthday. Not that that's the worst thing, obviously. I'm like, how dare he, you know, invade I mean, Ukraine. But it, it was, I, I felt like I really didn't have a leg to stand on there. I thought, okay, that is that happens very every major, night. yeah. Home, when around the couch, like you know, it'll be, I'll be like, okay, I'm gonna give you my phone. Hint, hint. You know, let's like not do the phone thing. Yeah, yeah. Because you will end up just watching TV and just you, know, you don't know. actually know what happened there. I know, but you apparently know. they said there's. A bit, I, I read this really interesting article. I think it was in the New Yorker where they said that um, it's the rise of ambient TV, and they were using Emily in Paris as the sort of um, um, kind of I don't know, like the boilerplate for that, where they said that like people 
because often if you're watching something that's like a lot of plot, you have to really engage with it. Where sometimes people want something on in the background where they mm-hmm. don't have to pay too much attention so they can still be on their phones. But then if they look up, they kind of know what's going on. Mm. So I thought that was really funny that before it was ambient music and now where it's like ambient TV. Yeah. You don't have to pay too much attention. That's what I like sometimes in TV is something that I can like dip in and out of yeah. what's going on. Yeah. A little bit like Love Island. Yeah. Oh God, started. I love Love Island. But anyway. Me too. I know. Yeah. It's terrible. I put up a poll last night and Thankfully, my audience agrees with me. Otherwise, you're like, they're going to be finding the next eight weeks incredibly tough. But you know what I love about it probably the most is, like, I have something to watch now for the next however long. Like, yeah. you, know, you don't have to make that decision. Like, yes. When I yeah. find a good program, I fly through it and then yeah. we're like, now what? Yeah. No. <laughs> this is great. Just that decision has been taken away from you. Yeah. But um, just talking about social media and stuff, your new book is, Idol, is highly based around... Yeah. Social media, the main character, Samantha Miller, is an influencer yeah. uh, in America and she is being cancelled because of an article that she wrote that basically she wrote an article saying that, you know, what was it about her kind of sexual awakening? And yes. Then her friend Lisa, who the article was about, gets in contact gets in contact and says, that's actually not how it went. I felt like I was sexually assaulted. assaulted. Yeah. yeah. So this gets out there and... She is cancelled and I like the way throughout the book you kind of show the follower count yeah. going down and it's just very... Did it make you nervous, Liz? No, I'm joking. You're like, oh my God. <laughs> well, I mean, like, it's... Yeah, I, but I'm sure there scary. must be... Like, I mean, yeah. that's your lo- like, that's my job. I know, you know? I know. And I'm sorry, I shouldn't have joked about that. But no, like, no, you no, know, but you're... The... I mean, no, it's totally fine. Yeah. We can joke about it. But I suppose it's it's more like the feeling of everyone ganging up on you and that is something that happens on social media like yeah, you know yeah. if it was real life it wouldn't be a nice feeling either you know so yes yeah, so I suppose when, when we're talking about cancel culture like it's often you know with very powerful very wealthy people who I think are impossible almost impossible to cancel mm-hmm. like Louis C.K. you know who was quote unquote cancelled and then sort of within a year and a half was 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 back touring and, and you know, just won a Grammy and um, so I don't know. It 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 feels as if if you're wealthy enough and if you're powerful enough, it, I'm not sure if people actually can cancel you. I think there are often ways back, no matter how bad your behavior is. Yeah. Um, like even Harvey Weinstein, they said that they, there's a danger now that his um, conviction will be appealed. Um, I think, I think there was just some sort of flaw in, in maybe in I'm, I'm not I'm not quite sure of like the legal um, reasons why. But I also think that, I mean, it's never happened to me personally, but like I would imagine being at the center of a pylon mm-hmm. or even if that is legitimate, like even if you have done something wrong and, and I think being at the center of that must feel incredibly frightening. Mm. Um, and I suppose it's trying to sort of separate those two where it's like, yes, there are people who have done terrible things and I think there has to be consequences for that behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, and so much of, I suppose often, particularly when it comes to sexual violence, like there isn't, I think, you know, let's say even in Ireland, our conviction rates for rapists are incredibly low. So I think a lot of times people feel like the only recourse that they will ever have is maybe by damaging someone's reputation, you know? Um, And I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but I Mm -hmm. think that maybe just trying to have some sort of understanding of that. So yes, as I said, that there are people who should face consequences for their behavior, for their terrible behavior. And then you have other people, I think, who feel as if, you know, that there's just, as I said, this just this pylon. And I think that mm. the impact that that can have on people's um, mental and emotional health um, is very stark, actually. Yeah, and I think sometimes the pylon can be can work well when there's important causes there. Yes. But when it's like... 
I don't know, snippet taken out of context or yeah. something you don't get the full picture of. Sometimes it can yeah. be Or if you've unfair, made a mistake or, like, or if you've... And, but I think as well, like I have seen a lot of this where I think that like... Yeah, as I and I agree with you that like often, you know, people will be called out um, for, let's say, using offensive language. And I, I think that that can be helpful and can be helpful even maybe it doesn't feel particularly nice to the person, but mm -hmm. I think it can be helpful as sort of a learning um, yeah. curve. And I think that if people are like, look, I'm really sorry, that wasn't my intention and I, I will really try and do better mm -hmm. in the future. But yeah, I think it's it can be... Yeah, I mean, as I said, it's never it's never happened to me. And I suppose, but look, I think anyone, like I know I have a very small following online, but like I think anyone who has any sort of presence on social media mm. is afraid, you know. Of, of that call out yeah. nature. That yeah, even if, as I said, even if it can be a good learning experience and even if yeah. there is learning to be had, I suppose no one likes to be. Well, I guess the more you dwell on something, the more it becomes a thing, you know. And then sometimes you're like, how do I deal with this is this just a couple of comments is it a couple of messages or is this something yes. that I need to yes and, and I think as well there, that I think it must be hard and like I mean I write a column and like you know sometimes it's like okay this is legitimate criticism mm -hmm. and that's important to take on board yeah. and then this is just someone who doesn't like me and like mm -hmm. and, and I, I can't really do anything about that and I think it's trying to differentiate between the two and definitely an idol um, <laughs> Samantha I think struggles um, I think she just really wants constant validation mm -hmm. constant approval and I suppose that's just unrealistic yes. in life and on social media. I remember my mother saying that to me um, one time. She was like, you know, sometimes there are just people who don't like you. Yeah. And she said, and it, it can be, it can be for something as small as you remind them of someone who mm -hmm. was mean to them in primary school, like, you know, or a teacher that they once had. Mm -hmm. And I think just accepting that there will be people, no matter how nice you are or no matter, you know, how nice you think you are, mm -hmm. that there will be people who don't like you. I think that's probably you know just a kind of a good lesson to yeah. take on in life another thing that someone said to me is like a lot of the time the things they don't like in you are things they don't like in themselves yes. so they're they're hyper aware of them yes yeah you know? that's true that's i mean I, any psychologist would tell you that i think it's projection yeah um or you know we don't what is that um that quote it's an in an, you know we do not see the world um as it is we see it as we are yeah so i think you know like yeah. i mean we all you know i even find that with books you know like with let's say something like Idol, when people will tell me about their interpretation of the book or mm -hmm. what resonated with them or like what characters they sort of um, identified with. Like it's always so different and the way in which people interpret the book is always so different. Mm -hmm. And actually I find that really interesting because I think it's very, and, and I don't mean this in a in a shady way. It's just, I think it's really telling of that person's own sort of opinions and, and ideas. And because we don't, like we read through the prism of our mm -hmm. own experience. Yeah. And we live life through the prism of our own experience as well. That's why I found the book club so interesting because you'd hear all these different opinions and like it's fun to read because it's just a good story but it's also interesting to be like, oh my God, I never thought of it like that. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. It yeah, brings yeah. a different kind of <laughs> yeah. depth to it. Yeah, yeah but it's, it's an interesting one like the idea of oh, the whole cancel culture and three of the books I've read recently. Oh, really? Actually, yeah, so... Um, the Snag List by oh, Sophie yes. White and I love that book. The Echo Chamber, which I finished on Monday. Oh yes! Oh yeah! So there's the three by of them. John, like John pure Boyne. chance, pure yeah. chance. God, that's so fun. I suppose it's obviously something that people are thinking about. Um, I, you know, are thinking about a lot. I don't know. It's it's a it's an interesting one. As I said, I'm not sure if I necessarily believe in it. It's which is funny, I suppose, because there's been so much of this book where people are like, mm. so you're clearly just like really believe very passionately in cancel culture. And I'm like, do I? I think I, as I said, it's more consequences um, yeah. culture that I think is probably yeah. um, more of what I think is 
is happening. And but another element, I suppose, that came into these books was like anonymous accounts. Yes. So now, in your book, there was anonymous accounts kind of Yes, sort of on the, yeah. Which is another thing altogether, I suppose. That's different than, I, I think, I think that's different because if you are going to call someone out, stand behind it. I would totally agree. But you see, the thing is, is that people, that that's not legitimate criticism. You know, I yeah. think that if there was legitimate criticism, mm-hmm. there would be someone on your page saying, Louise, I disagree with what you've said here. And like sometimes you can take, look, you know, with let's say even the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard thing, you know, I was very mm-hmm. clear about how I felt about that. And then you have people saying, look, I disagree with you. And I'm like, look, that's fine, but this is how I feel. Mm-hmm. And then there are other things where I'm like, actually, maybe that's part of, you know, that's your experience and that's actually really valid. And I will really take that on board and, and that would change my opinion mm. of something. Um so yeah, I don't know, but I think when you're talking about the anonymous stuff, like the the Tattle Life or the the boards.ie or the the Reddits and all mm-hmm. that kind of thing, like, I it's kind of I mean it, you know. And look, I'm sure that there are people who you know go onto these boards and find them, I don't know, enjoyable or like probably, you know, like. And to be fair, it's probably if there's like a little bit of envy there, I would think because yeah. oh. This, this is something bad. Like, yeah. You know what I mean? That makes me feel better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, look, I, I don't know. I mean, I remember when, when I suppose when asking for a chemation, I suppose I started my column and I, people would say to me, there's this board or there's this whatever forum and like, you know, you're being torn apart in this. And I think you, like I remember one woman saying to me, I really think you should get legal advice. Oh, wow, really? Yeah. And I just thought, but first thing I said, I really wish you hadn't told me. Um, mm, I know. know. It's just, I know, know, know people. Yeah, exactly. None of your business. Ex- exactly. And like, honestly, when I, and I know it's probably really hard and I'm not trying to sound judgmental. And like, but when people say, oh, I looked at this, I just think you can never unsee that. Like you really can't. And like, I'm sure it must feel so tempting but like, it's like eavesdropping or reading someone's diary. Like you are always going to find something mm-hmm. that you do not want to see that you will never be able to forget. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of, I just think it's, I think you have, like what we talked about earlier, you have to protect yourself in some yeah. way. And I just think, as you were totally right, like other people's opinions of me are none of my business. And if someone, I don't know, wa- wants to talk about me in this way, and I'm sure I'm mm-hmm. absolutely, I mean, I, I've never looked at Hot Life, but I'm, I mean, you're an influencer, so I mm. presume that this is part of your experience <laughs> as well. Like, I don't want to be like, well, Louise, I, you never believe what they're saying. Yeah. No, but like, you know, it's, it's, um, but I think it's, you just kind of have to say, I know who I am mm-hmm. and I have people around me who know who I am and who love me for me. And like, if other, like, what, what can you do? Yeah, I know. And you know what? These books made me feel so much better about yeah. that because, like in each book, there was like several accounts being made by the same person, mm-hmm. the same password. And it just, honestly, that person doing that is not okay. Yeah. Do you know? Because yeah. like, so, like when they're hobbies. very extreme, when they're very extreme things, you know, I just think it's too much. It's like, I, I, I remember, I, this is years ago now because it was on Facebook, so it must have been 2016, and banning someone. I think I banned the same person. And I could tell because they came back and they were using the same phrase. I think I banned them like four or five times in one day. And I just thought, do you have a job? <laughs> do you have any friends? Person, like, give yeah. me a little snapshot. I know. You know? I, 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 um, I remember writing a piece about, um, like some of it is just, as I said, some of it you're like grand legitimate criticism. Some of it is you just don't like me. That's fine. And some of it is so awful. Like I remember posting this piece about um, being in recovery and sort of like, you know, I suppose letting go of the anorexia. And then someone commented something like, yeah, you can really see the extra weight. And I just thought... An anonymous count. Yeah. And I just thought to myself, 
like why would you say something like that? Like I just cannot imagine. And I mean, like my eating disorder was so serious, and like was I had it for nearly two decades that you just think like, you could really have jeopardized someone's recovery. You could have jeopardized someone's life. But and something just, like that shouldn't amazing. be allowed. I know, you know? And, like, but it was just—it was something about the way that they said it that just felt such. It felt so deliberately cruel that I mm. just some of that I think you're just it, it it's it's baffling to me because as I said you know it's fine if someone just doesn't like you or they disagree with mm. you or whatever absolutely there's something about where you're like wow someone really tried to sort of like cut me off on my knees mm-hmm. there you and just it think, just takes getting used to I had a friend ask me recently how do you deal with that yeah she goes set up a new business and you know with setting up a new business you're going to get feedback yeah. you're going to get criticism you're going to get compliments you know yeah. and I was like do you know what I, I don't have any advice for you I was like it yeah. just you just have to learn to deal with it and yeah. it gets easier and you kind of just get thicker skin yeah. and like that you learn to switch off from it and not look yeah. it up and not put yourself through that yeah and I think as well I mean this is different but even with reviews I try not to read any of them because um, I sort of feel like the good or the bad it's again it's a lot of other voices you yeah. know like it's sometimes I think it's just trying to block all that out and be like stay focused yeah, yeah. this is me these are the people who are important this is the work I want to do mm-hmm. I mean I know that's harder because obviously like so much of your job is like these you know I was I, I, talk, I was talking about this recently and I said often when I think of an influencer and this is such a funny comparison and I hope you'll enjoy it but when I was my parents owned a butcher shop in Clonagilty and when I was a child I remember this woman saying to me after she paid for her her meat she said you know um, I'll be paying for your college education and the way she said it was really it was it was it was quite nasty really but like there was a part of me that I suppose there is this awareness of like the people who came in were paying for my school books mm-hmm. they were paying for my shoes mm-hmm. so you kind of have to sort of smile and be polite and sort of put up with you know mm-hmm. you have to go and you have to go yeah okay well thank you very much and you know whatever yeah. you kind of go fuck you you know mm-hmm. um, so I often think with influence there is that element of like where you have to allow people in or you have to sort of give them access and you have to kind of even if you've tagged everything in your photo and you're like just fucking press the photo and like they're like where are your shoes from? <laughs> yeah. I think most but, of the time know? that stuff is innocent and like you're obviously much more patient than I am I'd be like I've tagged everything leave me alone but I think like people asking a simple question and like answering them like, like it really helps people sometimes yeah. you know my again this, is why, dress, this you know? is why you can do this job and I can't because I think I would just lose my mind I'm yeah. like go my days where I'm like I'm not going to reply today I'm going to do it I'll do it tomorrow or yeah. whatever like you know but and like sometimes I don't I miss loads of them and I'll try and just do it on yeah my I would imagine it takes people, I know? imagine it takes so much time seriously yeah it is it's, it's busy but I, I love it you know yeah. like I love the creative side of it and I'm working with brands that I love and yeah like I'm I'm very lucky to be where no, I am and, you know so. sorry I feel like I'm like you're like just saying all the negative aspects and you're like no no no, no, no but you know what like 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 that. If I was just doing that, yeah, I feel like it would it would be a lot, and there's a lot yeah. of pressure there. There's so much pressure, and it could be over tomorrow. You could say the wrong thing, and it could be over tomorrow. I know, I know. You know, so it's nice to be working on other things. You know, yes. I have yes, podcast. I have yeah. my wine spritzer. Yeah, with your cousin. Yeah, <laughs> it's a real family affair here. You know, it's being made down in West Cork. Yeah, <laughs> your home base, and then we've got the clothing line as well. Yeah. So it's I suppose there's so much more to me and to you yeah. and to everyone than what you just show of on course, social media, do you know? And I, like, it's, I think it's just unrealistic to sort of assume that, you know, what you see on Instagram or what you see on someone's stories is like the extent of who they are. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, both good and bad, you know? It allows people to make a very quick assumption about yeah. who you are and what you're like. Um, 
And I find even like people I may have met once would make, would make an assumption of me, you know, and it's like, God, you have to be really on your A-game all the time, you know. I know. Actually, is, it says that in Idol, she's like, um, you know, you kind of, that she feels like she can never, like Samantha feels like she can never, like, because she's got like a certain level of fame where she feels like she has to be nice all the time. So mm-hmm. she can't have sort of an off day with someone at the check-in when she's, you know, at the airport or like at a hotel or like a waiter or like, you know, someone at her dental office because it's that fear of, oh, someone saying, oh, I met her and she was a real bitch, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know exactly. Well, talking about that, what would people be surprised to find on your nightstand? Like, what are you reading? That- oh, God. You know, I think actually what people, well, I don't know. It's, I mean, I suppose because Idol deals like it feels like it's a real sash. I mean, it is, I suppose, a satire of like wellness culture and new age spirituality. But I think people would probably be very surprised to hear that I'm absolutely addicted to new age spirituality. Um, and like I have been really into this since I was a teenager. Um, I think I was a very devout child. Like I, I wanted to be a nun for like quite a long time as a kid. And um, I think in a previous lifetime, I think I was probably a nun in, in an enclosed order. I think actually there's something about that that, peacefulness of that life I think that would have actually really suited me mm-hmm. um so I and then I suppose when I was sort of you know the late 90s early 2000s when a lot of stuff was coming out about the sex abuse scandals and about the Magdalene laundries and about the mother and baby institutions like my relationship with Catholicism really mm-hmm. soured mm-hmm. I think new age spirituality sort of filled that void that I had where I needed to believe in something greater than mm-hmm. what than is me. that then what is new age oh so yeah so I suppose like I mean the first how, that's a, how would you describe that? I mean, I suppose it's kind of, ta- like, often when it boils down to it, like, no matter what religion you're looking at, whether that is, like, Buddhism or Judaism or Christianity or, um, or like, New Age spirituality, like, a lot of the tenets of that are very, very similar. Like, you know, there's kind of the golden rule, which is actually at the heart of, like, any religion, which is do unto others as you would have them mm-hmm. do unto you. Um, so I suppose with New Age spirituality, it's kind of, ta- it's, it, it, it's taking a lot of the, those kind of, I suppose, the, the purest, parts of that and then maybe letting go of a lot of the dogma you know um or so like i suppose new age spirituality would obviously be much more welcoming to i mean it's welcoming to everybody regardless mm-hmm. of like gender or sexuality mm-hmm. or, or race or you know whatever so it can feel a lot more inclusive um but also i suppose it can feel a lot more i mean to some people it would seem a lot more airy fairy mm-hmm. like you know it's a lot of like ideas around the law of attraction and sort of positive yeah you know but that wouldn't have been that new to me because my dad was really into sports psychology. Yeah. So it would have been like, you know, if I had said to him, don't forget your, don't forget to pick me up after school. He would say to me, Louise, the brain can't, um, the brain doesn't actually, it can't sort of um, program in that way. So when you say don't forget, my brain is taking that as forget. But he would say, <gasps> say remember. true? Yeah. So there's, oh. yeah. So like, so even when I was a child, like there would have been that sort of, conversation so when I suppose a lot of this felt very familiar to me these kind of ideas around positive mental attitude and the power of positive Mm -hmm. thought and even visualization would have used a lot of visualization Mm -hmm. in sports so that stuff felt kind of you know I suppose familiar to me so like I just I love it like I've been reading that 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 kind of um those kind of books since I was around 15 so I always have a book on either meditation or spirituality or manifestation or um, new age thought. Mm-hmm. There's always one of those kind of on the go as well. What one would you recommend? I mean, that's a really good question. What one would I recommend? I mean, I think like Louisa Hay is quite controversial. Oh, yeah, I've listened to that. Yeah, like she would be a bit controversial because I think some of the, 
like the, the book came out in 85 it sold like 40 million um, what's it called again you can heal your life yeah that I would be sort of the, yeah, the, it's very the big one preachy yeah yeah but I think a lot of it was particularly around um, like she she thinks that all illnesses are created by the mind and some of that I think we feel comfortable in like you know that we talk about let's say the stress can cause a heart attack yeah but I think for a lot of people particularly people who let's say have cancer or um, you know uh, or HIV or you know something like that I think this idea that like you you are responsible for that mm. can really feel like blaming and often for people yeah, I think who are in very vulnerable yeah. positions you mm-hmm. know that that's just not um, I think helpful um, advice I'm trying to think what book but there are I bits you can take like you can take a pinch, like take it with a pinch of salt and yes. bits of it and I think I, and I suppose actually funnily yeah like I mean I think maybe that's part of it is like that you can take like, I read it and some of it really resonates with me and other books, I'm like, oh, I'm not so sure about that. That's kind of not where I'm I'm at at the moment. The Untethered Soul, I really liked. You know, there's... oh, I listened to that too. Oh, oh did God. you? There you go. Who's that by again? Um, oh God, I can't think of the name of the guy. But it's funny when I was listening to all these. It was during lockdown. I was kind of going through a little bit of a hard time. A little bit. Lo- it was a hard time. Yeah. And I was like, what can I do? And like podcasts can be so helpful in that way. Yeah. The Untethered. That's by a man, isn't it? Yes, and I can't. I remember his voice. I can hear. I have it. I can picture the um. And this, see, it's funny now how I can't... Think Like a Monk, did you do that one? Yes, Jay I did. Shetty? But I read that when I was in it. I think, um, was that the one that... Something about the monk, the, the Ferrari. Sorry, I've read so yes. many. It's terrible. I, I often, with books, I completely forget the titles. Yeah. Of them. And now I have like a notes app on my phone where I write down every book that I've read uh-huh. and then I sort of post it. But you know what's funny is I never include the spirituality or the self-help ones. Mm. I think I'm a little bit embarrassed. So like every, at the end of every month, I'll post on my Instagram stories, like these are the books I've read this month. Okay. And I will always leave out like the two or three spirituality. Why? I should definitely include I think I, I think I feel embarrassed. I do yeah. think there's a part of me that thinks or that they're not serious or that people would think less of me but or you know something. what people are only going to know what the book is unless they no you're themselves. right you're right you and also and after just having said that other people's opinions I don't care what other people think oh of me Louise and I'm like I don't want people to think I'm like <laughs> I guess that's probably the boundaries thing coming in yeah you know? maybe yeah exactly and I suppose some of it is slightly um, like my partner thinks it's all nonsense so like sometimes I think I just don't want to get into a conversation where someone's like this why do you believe in this none of this you know but but honestly I I find it really comforting helpful yeah no, yeah I and I, I don't like you know I really don't like the thought and I think anyone who's lost someone that they loved you know particularly if they were young when that happened I think you know mm-hmm. I think that it's very difficult to believe or that no, there's nothing after this like I think yeah. there's, there's this real need almost to believe that there is something that there is some sort of afterlife yeah. and that 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 someone that when someone dies that, that that's not just the end that, that 100% you know like that they exist in some other realm you know that's why people yeah, went to mask along with mass sorry along with like it being a form of meditation yes. and reflection and all those words we know now that yes. they probably didn't use then yes you yes, know yes like that's where I learned to reflect and be grateful and yeah you know yeah. I, I was made go every Sunday until I was 18 oh, and now why? I don't, like they can't even get me to barely go at Christmas anymore I just yeah. don't really believe in it anymore yeah but I do my own stuff I do my gratitude journal you know I do my I try and sit and reflect and you know yeah and I think that's important particularly yeah. with a job where again you're so online I think it's really important to have moments where you're like here I am in nature or here on my feet or on the ground mm-hmm. this is I'm really present rather than because I think that can be really tricky mm. and I think no matter whether your job is online or not I think yeah. because we're on our phones all the time it can be really difficult yeah. to sometimes just actually go like I am a human being and mm-hmm. I'm you know 
I don't know. Do you know what I mean? Just to be really just present in that. Yeah, just to be you, with yourself. You don't even you know? realise you're doing a form of meditation. I had a yeah. conversation with somebody, Keith uh, Walsh. He's oh, yeah. talks a lot about uh, mental health. And he was saying sometimes you don't even realise you're meditating when you are. It might be just, for me, probably sitting down on the couch without my phone. Yeah. You know, with my dog. Yeah. Cooper. Who yeah. Also, you have yeah. Cooper. Well, I mean, I have to say this, right? Because I, I, I felt like I was sort of single white femaleing you because we're both called Louise and then we both had dogs called Cooper. But when we rescued Cooper, he was called Hooper. And I really didn't like the name Hooper, but I felt like he'd been through so much that I, did, I just didn't feel right changing his name. So I said, I'll call him Cooper because they're sort of similar, mm. you know, obviously um, similar to Rowell's. And he, he still wouldn't answer me. Oh, my really? dad was like, he obviously knows that I was like listen if he can tell the difference between Hooper and Cooper I'm going to sell him to like a circus because he's like some sort of like Stop. you know I'm a, I, I really don't think he could I think he just didn't want to listen to me to that is so funny so our, we have a house like at home in Limerick my family is we have Winnie oh, yeah. she's a cocktail oh, she's gorgeous name. they're like best friends but we just joke around and call her like Vinny Vinny yeah. And she replies to everything. Yeah, yeah, cause of course, because it's the same. It's like, the same yeah, thing. yeah. And like, we, we just do it all the time. Yeah. She's like, you know, yeah. turning around. <laughs> you little dummy, Winnie. That's not your name. I know. No, we're easily amused. Yeah. <laughs> okay, if you could take a leaf out of somebody else's book, whose would it be? Now, I sort of think of this question in like as in would there be a book that I would have liked to have written and now I know that's like someone else's book mm -hmm. and I mean it just it has to be Harry Potter like mm. you know and I mean how fun I know and also just like that I mean and I listen if I'd written Harry Potter I would not be on Twitter and I would just be living my life quietly yeah. um but um I just uh think yeah, it just, I suppose you just set up for life. I mean, you and your great, 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 great grandchildren mm -hmm. are all sort of set up for life. I just think, oh my God, imagine, imagine the castle, imagine the clothes. Like it would just be, mm. it would be quite, um, and, 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 and in fairness, I mean, in fairness, I suppose as well, like, you know, she does a lot of work for, for charity and I suppose it, it is also that, like the more that you have, the more that you have to give and mm -hmm. the more that you can support causes. Mm -hmm. that, I, I thought it sounded a bit shallow there talking about the houses no, and the, no, the clothes. And, like, and I would also give a lot of money <laughs> that I would solve world hunger, okay? But to play devil's advocate with that comes so much pressure. No, I agree. Ad, like I've seen you've spoken before, like she's no, expected totally to agree. be an expert in everything. No, I would agree. And also I think, you know, like it's funny because I suppose like that level of success is so unusual. And then I think of someone like, let's say Marion, um, Marion Keys, who has sold, I think, like 35 million copies worldwide, which is also incredible, but is able to lead a normal, like, you know, like mm. a, a relatively, oh yeah, like a normal life. You know, mm -hmm. she doesn't need security. Like, so I think there's maybe that would feel like a more comfortable level of like, of success. Mm -hmm. But yeah, there's something where I'm like, oh, yeah, but it would be kind of cool. I mean, I think it would be cool for like a day or a week just yeah. to see what it's like. Yeah. And then like, I suppose even like, obviously the films and I suppose as well, and I mean, again, I'm not agreeing with her um, opinions, um, you know, um, on on trans rights. But like, I suppose um, at, at all, I just want to sort of um, just make that no, clear. With you. Yeah, um, <laughs> but um, I I think that like I suppose to have been part of people's childhood in that way as well, like to have written something that has had that kind of cultural significance, and also um, to have really, I suppose just to, I suppose, impacted people's lives mm. in such a way. I mean, I suppose that, I think that's why I think so many people are really sad about um, her comments and sort of her, her beliefs around yeah. um, trans people is that it feels like it's tarnishing that. And yeah. I think for a lot of people, particularly in the LGBTQ um, uh, community, it is very much tarnishing that. And I suppose that's where there's kind of a sadness to that as well, where because she was such an integral mm -hmm. part of people's mm -hmm. childhood. 
So listen, I am the writer of Harry Potter and I say trans rights forever. What's on your nightstand currently? Um, okay, so I have, there's two books there. I mean, it's been, uh, you know, it's just been obviously with Idol coming out um, and it's just been a really crazy, busy month. So I haven't had a chance to read as much, but I have the new Taylor Jenkins read, um, uh, Carrie Sota. Soto is back. Oh, yeah. Which I'm very excited I, to I, read. I actually have that, but I yeah. haven't read it. Yeah, it looks really good. And the other one is another proof. Um, it's called, what is it called? I think it's called Infamous. It's by Lex Croucher. And she wrote a book called Reputation. It's kind of like Bridgerton, you know, sort of Jane Austen meets Bridgerton, you know, that kind of thing. Okay. Um, and that's very enjoyable. So th- those are the two that are currently um, uh, on my nightstand that I have to How have to get many into books next. do you normally read? Well, I try. It's funny, you know, before I got a smartphone, I think I read probably three books a week, um, three or wow. four books a week. Yeah, like I just read constantly. Like I, was, I never really watched that much television. And now... Oh my gosh, I don't know. Sometimes I, what do I do all day? Um, you know, the, you know. Sometimes you have those days yeah. where you achieve nothing, but you haven't read or watched anything, or you're like, what? What would I do? What I did I do today? Um, so, but I do try like two books a week. Mm-hmm. That would be like if it's a good week, it'll be three. But like I try to. Like last month, I only read three books, and like, but you know, I don't like. I often feel like when you say that, people get almost feel guilty about like how much or how little they read but I, I, I do say to people this is part of my job I know as well. and you're aren't you lucky like that that is I know it is and I am very lucky And but I suppose you know I get sent a lot of proofs I really try because like when I was a um, a debut author like people were really generous like I was speaking this was before we were friends but like Marion Keyes gave me a very good uh, like this incredible quote and, and Jeanette Winterson gave me a quote and like it means so much to you when you're a debut author that like people who are so established and so well known would take the time yeah. to read you you know particularly if you're completely unknown and mm-hmm. so I really try like if I get a proof and it's particularly if it's by a young Irish writer I'm always like okay look I really will I really want to try and read that mm-hmm. um so yeah, so it does take up like a lot of my time. Um, and um, yeah, I always feel like when people are talking about, and see now, Louise, it's going to be even worse now because Love Island has started. I know. So that's really, that's kind of, yeah, exactly. That That is usually sort of eight to 10 is usually sort of my reading at night time. Yeah. So now I'm like, well, I, I have lost. It'll have to just be eight to nine for, for the next eight weeks. I loved that when I started the book club. I was like, well, I actually have to yes. put this as a priority today because yes. I'm so behind and... You know, and then I would sit down and read for like an hour in the middle of the day and I was like, this is unreal. I know. And you feel so, yeah, it's love. It's it's such a, there's something about it that it just feels like so guilt free. Like, mm. you know, the way often if you sat down in the middle of the day and you watch some TV or if you, oh you God, yeah, like, no, oh I God, I shouldn't that, be yeah. doing this. Because I think there's something really nice about like carving that time out of your day to just go, I just want to read a book. Yeah, I just feel, I feel like it is good for you. I feel like it's good for, it, I mean, for your writing skills, for your imagination, for yeah. escapism from and, normal life. And for empathy, life. I think. You know, yeah. I often think when we're reading something, particularly if it's, you know, I mean, when I'm reading something that, let's say, the person's life experience or their voice or their, like, you know, even, you know, like if their gender or their race or their sexuality or whatever it is, like if their, their experience is really different to mine, I suppose you have to sort of, you know, you put yourself in that person, mm-hmm. in that character's shoes for the um, duration of reading the book. And I think you come away from it with that sense of understanding, I mean, you can never truly understand, but I think more of a sense of like empathy of like, oh, well, this would this is what life is like for this person. Mm-hmm. I think we the world could do with a lot more empathy. Yeah, you, I think. you definitely learn so much. Like when I'm talking about American dirt a while ago, yeah. like you learn, I learned so much about the story of immigration. You know that I had no idea about mm-hmm. before. Mm-hmm. You can literally travel the world, and like yeah. that's partly why I read during lockdown because we couldn't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But what do you know about life that you can't read in books? 
God, this is such a good question. And actually, I think quite a lot. Um, and I think I am someone who I really like to intellectualize things. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like to, like my therapist would have often have said that, you know, she'd say, you will talk about things forever. Like, you know, she said, you'll come in and you'll you'll talk about it. She said, but you really, whenever we sort of will sit and you have to sort of integrate that, like it's like, I, 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 I find that much more difficult. So like I try with, let's say, meditation or with yoga you know, with things to try and kind of get me back into my body. Because often I think you can know everything intellectually, like you can know everything um, in a sort of a logical sense. But until you integrate that, until that becomes like part of who Mm -hmm. you are, until you can integrate that into your body, it's sort of worthless. Mm. So I feel the impact. Yeah, you know, so I think even let's say with a lot of, let's say the self-help stuff where... I'm I'm reading it and I'm like, yeah, no, I, I understand what this person is saying and I think that sound makes sense and I think that's great. But like, uh, do I really know it? Like, do I know it in my core? Mm-hmm. And I think that that is something that really only practice and life experience. And um, I think that's the only, the, I suppose that's, you can't you can't just read about that in a book. Yeah. You have to you have to, to do it. it. Yeah. yeah. You you know, it would be like thinking about sex for your entire life and never having sex. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? Like there's some some things you're like, I you have to just have to do it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, have you ever given yourself a bad review? I mean, every day. Yeah. Okay. You know, and I think, I mean, I think we're like that. And I mean, I think anyone who's... We're Irish. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I, I mean, I, I would presume people like in general, I suppose, are, you know, that you think oh, I didn't do a great job there or, oh, I don't look good or I don't feel good or whatever. Yeah. Uh-huh. Or sometimes, I, you know, if I'm doing an event, I'll come away for a bit and think, oh, I wasn't as maybe articulate there as I would have liked or, you know, so, but definitely I think with the writing, actually, I think one of the hardest things, and and I don't know if there are any, you know, people who will be listening to this who want to be writers, but actually I think one of the hardest things was like letting go of like what Julia Cameron, who is this sort of, she teaches creativity, what she would call like the inner critic. Um, and that was actually very loud for me. You know, like when I would sit down to write, like the inner critic would come out and say, who do you think you are? You, like, you're such an imposter. Like, you know, you, you can't write. And like, and it's trying to kind of almost silence that voice mm-hmm. um, and write through it or write because of it. Um, and yeah, so I think every day, like when I sit down and write, I'm, you know, trying to write something new at the moment. And like, you know, every day when I sit with it, I'm like, Oh, this is terrible. Like, you know, so I think, yeah, I'm I'm probably my own. Like, no, I, I know I am. My mother would always say that to me. She's like, oh my God, you are so hard on yourself. And I'm like, I know I am. My friends but, say that to me as well. Maybe yeah. it's something, maybe it's Louise. Yeah, maybe it's maybe. to do with the name. What, what star sign are you? I was, Louise, I was literally about to, I swear to God, I was about to say, are you a Pisces as well? No, I'm Virgo. Okay. Well, yeah. well, I mean, it's so with a Virgo. Like Virgos yeah. are so, such perfect. Like my dad's a Virgo. Mm. Beyonce's a Virgo though. Yeah. But like, it's a real like perfectionist, yeah. you know, like overachieving. Yeah. Like that's a real Virgo. I know. Yeah. It's, it's so funny. I was literally just thinking, look at us. When it, when it comes to your writing though, like God, look at everything you've done. Like, you know. Oh yeah. But it's never like. You're just sure, it's always the next thing. Exactly. Isn't it? And yeah. I think it's it's awful in a way. And actually I think it's it's it says so much about like you know, I think pleasure versus happiness or or or, or versus peace. And I think often we we look for these kind of external markers of success and we think, you know, when I get this, I'll be happy. And actually I think when you've had the experience of getting the thing, you know, whether that's the house or the relationship or the job or the money or the 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 book published or whatever, and then still having this sense of like a momentary like, oh amazing. And then afterwards having going back to feeling the same or or maybe a sense of emptiness. And I think actually it's like the realization that joy 
is an inside job mm-hmm. that it doesn't mean like you know all of those things are lovely and like and they're you know I, I, I mean obviously money is important and you know all of those things are great but I think it's like actually to, to have a sustained sense of joy that is internal work okay speaking of joy what is your next chapter Oh, well, I mean, work-wise, I love the way I instinctively go to work. It's terrible. Um, <laughs> like That's the only thing that matters. Well, I am writing a new book. I'm sort of 50,000 words in. Um, so I'm about like halfway there. Um, How many words is this? I think that was about 100. Oh, wow. See, it depends. Like my shortest book, Almost Love, was about 60. Okay. So, and then, but in general, they've all been around kind of 90 to 95. Okay. But, you know, other books, 120. It just depends. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so I suppose, yeah, I'm writing a new book. Um, and... Yeah, just I think just continually just trying to, I, I, you know, even what I said there earlier, just looking for joy over pleasure and 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 trying to leave go, I suppose, of the drive. I think a lot of us are having this after lockdown and after the pandemic, sort mm-hmm. of like, I think there was such a kind of a hustle culture and mm-hmm. a constant, like, you have to be productive and you have to be, you know, efficient and you have to sort of be going all the time. And, and actually, I think just trying to sort of take a step back from that and almost have a separation between me and my work, a separation between me and what I do and a separation between me and like, and what I perceive as success mm-hmm. and sort of trying to readjust maybe my priorities so that like, that, that while work is still important and still a part of who I am, that it's not the whole of who I am, you know, mm-hmm. that like my family and my partner and my dog, you know, um, Cooper, Cooper the second, <laughs> that I suppose that all of those things, I suppose that, that I don't know that I suppose that I, I give them as much yeah. um, attention and importance as, as I do my work. Yeah, I love that. I think when you're taking care of that side of things, yeah. the rest kind of falls into place, yeah. you know. Yeah. So thank you so much for joining today. It was so lovely to Of chat. course, it was so good. God, I felt, Louise, I feel like we could have been here for like know, another hour. I know, another cup of tea. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but listen, thank you so much. Thank and you. And you can buy Louise's book everywhere. Yes, everywhere. Everywhere, <laughs> everywhere you want. Oh, Idol is on, on sale. Okay, that's it for today, guys. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to rate, share and follow this podcast, you can do that on the Go Loud app and you can listen and download anywhere you listen to your podcasts. You can find me at Louise Cooney on Instagram. And that's it. Thank you so much. Talk to you next week.